and welcome to Ask the Howlers, a new podcast from VMware, where we interview a variety of cybersecurity experts about the threat landscape, the culture of InfoSec, and our changing workforce. I'm your host, Karen Morstell. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the topics that are top of mind for security leaders and speak with people who are helping to move the industry forward. Let's get to today's conversation. Good morning. Welcome to Ask the Howlers, a cybersecurity expert roundtable of trusted advisors and security strategists. We discuss the latest threats and security challenges and share actionable tips and resources. Most importantly, we answer your questions. So please be sure to interact with us during today's live stream and in the comments section if you're listening to this later on the podcast. My name is Karen Morstell. I'm the Senior Cybersecurity Strategist at VMware, and I'm your host of Ask the Hellers. Today, we're discussing cyber governance with Jody Westby, founder and CEO of Global, Global Cyber Risk, LLC, and author of DNO Guide to Cyber Governance. So welcome, Jody. It's great to see you again. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. So happy to join the Howlers. <laughs> Well, we're glad to have you. Hey, Jody, as an attorney, you've been an advisor and influential in the development of resources for directors and officers in the area of privacy and cyber risk management over the years. And you've mm-hmm. also got significant IT background. So your perspective is invaluable as we try to navigate the changing world of cyber risk. So before we dive into today's topic, Could you just share a little bit more about your background for those who aren't familiar with your work? Yeah, sure. My background is a blend of really technical business process and legal policy experience. And I guess I'm a good example of how you just build on everything you do in your life and pick out the best of those pieces and do some things that are fun. Um, I started my career with, as you said, 10 years in the computer industry. And that was doing everything from operations to programming, systems analysis, and then database administration, and ended up with the with American Airlines and the Williams companies. So that was a lot of the technical business process experience. And then I became a lawyer and practiced in a couple of New York firms, and then went to the US Chamber and headed up domestic policy there. So there comes in the policy piece. And then I launched InQtel for the CIA which you know is a mini venture capital IT solutions company. And um, uh, it's, it's been a good blend that has brought together um, a lot of great experience over a few decades. And um, in the process though, I've also been a writer. I've published seven books in um, cybersecurity, cybercrime, privacy, and, and cyber governa- governance. And, um, I blog for Forbes. So that's kind of what I do. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I've known you for years and uh, I I have always found you to be such a valuable resource. And for those of you who don't know, this is, this is the book. One of the things I got some glare on there, but we'll be talking about this, the DNO guide to cyber governance. So we've got a lot to cover. Um, Let's spend a little bit of time setting the stage because the most important take takeaways, I think we want to cover the most important takeaways. There's just so much we could talk about here. We could go for hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to highlight 
this quote from Accenture's recent report on cybersecurity that came out from the World Economic Forum. Yeah. Um, it's the it's the WEF Global Cybersecurity Outlook 2023, mm -hmm. uh, and this is what this is a quote I took right out of it. It says. While boards appear to be more cyber aware than before, the questions they are asking about cybersecurity imply they may ha not have fully grasped the effect of cyber risk on enterprise risk. In addition, many continue to struggle to determine which questions are best suited to assessing information provided by their cybersecurity teams and enabling informed and risk-based decisions. So that was... That was kind of uh, not to, I guess, not super surprising, but with the changing developments that we're going to talk about, um, you know, the board's role in the if governance and oversight of cybersecurity is more important than ever, right? Yeah. So, so I'm gonna let's talk a little bit about what cyber risk governance, cyber governance means. What what do we mean by that terminology, and why is this important? right now for company directors and officers? Well, it means overall doing more than asking interesting questions, which is the only issue I have in what you just quoted from the Accenture report, is what questions should they be asking? Uh, it's really now a role mm -hmm. and a responsibility. And, um, and so it, it is the number one business risk today. And it is mm -hmm. uh, the... I think largest cause of, of business interruption, financial, reputational risk, other than natural disasters. And so it's something that um, cyber governance means having the board and the officers of the company and the operational people all working together and making sure that that's all happening in a way that meets the objectives of the organization and fits its operations. There's a bit of confusion right now with people using the term data governance. And then there's yeah. information security governance and there's cyber governance. And basically cyber governance, information security governance are the same thing. But data governance is not the same thing. And so, it, you know, if we look at a definition from um, the IT Governance Institute way back when it started its governance work, it's really the link between the governing body and the executive and operational teams. And so it is where you have the governance piece looking at really the overall arching goals of the company, making sure that the risk appetite is set at that level and that then the operate, the managers are implementing all of that and keeping their eyes on the risk. That's what cyber governance is all about. But the problem here is that the boards and the executives don't understand what their role and responsibility is. And we, we can talk about that in a little bit. With data governance, that term has sort of evolved because uh, people are starting to realize it's more than privacy data. And all these years, companies have paid attention to what's subject to privacy laws. we got to have a chief privacy officer. And so when they have a bad incident, everyone initially used to worry about what PII did they access? Well, now a lot of times it's not PII. It's their other confidential and proprietary data. And they don't know who owns it. They don't know the business mm -hmm. impact, they don't have any idea of what 
all business partners or customers might be affected. And so they're starting to understand that in addition to just paying attention to data subject to privacy laws, they need to protect all of their data. And yeah. so learning how to look at all of the data in an organization and bring it within a cybersecurity program, that's where the term data governance has emerged. And governance, data governance really is not a very good term. It's really, you got a chief data officer role there. It's what we're talking about, but it's different from cyber governance. Yeah, so yeah, roles and responsibilities have shifted quite a bit. Last year, you know, the, the events of last year sort of highlighted the need to get really clear about uh, roles and responsibilities. And you mm -hmm. mentioned that. So yeah. um, maybe I'll just jump ahead to that question. Like, what are these new roles and responsibilities? And how are we going to define the difference between what a chief information security officer or chief security officer role looks like compared to the other C-suite level roles and director and officer types of responsibilities? Um, the roles and responsibilities differentiation has come out of the best practices and standards that have been developed in this area. So there's ISO 27,014 and ISO 24143. And then there's also best practices. The, the best practices that I think are <laughs> the best are those set by the FFIEC, the Federal Financial Institution Examination Council. And they have done a very good job in breaking down the roles of the board versus the C-suite. And ISO tracks that, that, you know, that follows. But it's really saying the board has an oversight role and and the C-suite has an executive implementation role. And then they have to make sure that all the personnel beneath them are implementing the goals and objectives and the uh, risk appetite that the board has determined. And so that is really the biggest difference is first of all, dividing the line between board and executives. And so the board um, for, for its role uh, in its governance, it's gonna be things like um, reviews, approvals, evaluations, allocation of resources, uh, monitoring of risks, that kind of high level oversight. Executive role is gonna be more on alignment, establishing, developing, informing, supporting. So they, they are take really the next level in bringing that down. And the FFIEC in their uh, work, they have really done, uh, as I said, a great job in trying to divide the different responsibilities between the uh, uh, two. So I'll give you a couple examples. So for the FFIEC, they would say the board should affirm the top roles and responsibilities for the development implementation of the, of the whole cybersecurity program. And the board has to understand the business case for risks to the business. And they have to provide management with the requirements for the cybersecurity program and the cyber risk appetite, and to provide 
guidance to management and establish the expectations for cybersecurity. So that's very, you know, that's very top level stuff. And then from the executive management perspective, FFIEC would say, it's the management that has to establish that culture of cybersecurity we always talk about in an organization. And then to clearly define roles and responsibilities and make sure there's segregation of duties. Uh, they would do a better job at that if they finally figured out that CISOs should not report to CIOs, but that's a little segregation of duties issue, but not to digress. Um, also to ensure there's coordination between physical and cyber. Okay, get the guards, guns and gates integrated with the cyber people. This is all an enterprise risk and, and you don't separate them anymore today. And then to you know implement the the board cybersecurity program and making sure that you know it is advancing and the proper resources are there, so that's very much a do. And yeah. then to you know of course do assessments. So that's really the difference in the roles and responsibilities for board members and for for executive roles. And the CISO of course is an executive role, and. You know, at some point when you go to websites and start clicking on our team and the officers, you should start seeing CISOs. Why aren't they there? You have a general counsel there. You have a chief financial officer there. And so it, it's a growing awareness and it is a change that has been evolving rather slowly. But I think we're going to start seeing a lot of change in part because of what the regulators are requiring. Right. We're going to talk about drivers because there's a lot of things driving this. I want to dive into what you described there in terms of board level uh, accountability, because it strikes me that the board has been in the past more of a receiver of like the security report or the update and not necessarily really engaged in having those direct conversations with the chief information security officer and um, and 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 being actively proactively involved in yeah in setting the expectations is is that yeah. your perception of that it, it is and unfortunately um, with the CIO CIS role very often the CIO will go talk to the board and leave the CISO mm -hmm. outside the door and right. I have found generally people that are not in our space think CIOs know cybersecurity. They don't. You know, they really got to have the CIO reporting to the CISO, but they just need to stop this nonsense and, and just give them reporting up to, you know, a chief operating officer or um, a, a CEO or maybe a CFO. That, that can be risky if the CFO doesn't understand what they need to, to do for technology. But, but um, the, the whole thing with the roles and responsibilities is evolving, but the CISOs yeah. also need to understand better how to communicate with executives and to get out of their own way. CISOs are, are really good at what they do, but they're really bad at figuring out what cyber governance means and what their role is in it. And, and they really need to bring in help and accept help and, and, help them move into that role where they're a trusted communicator. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I always, uh, I always enjoyed those roles I had where I, as a, you know, CISO reported to a panel of of the C-suite because our, our role is one that integrates with technology, but also with finance, with also the legal, the legal organization, regulatory requirements and so forth. We have such a broad, a broad level of responsibilities. And I love what you're saying about, and I'm sure the people who are listening will love it. I'd love to see the comments that are coming from this, but that elevation of the CISO role now to one that is on a par with the rest of the officers of the company, that has not been the case in most in most instances that I'm aware of. Having that elevation of the role does put the onus on those of us like in the security profession. We have to we have to be able to step into that role. That's not where <clears throat> excuse me, we've been in the past. So um, I think there's a lot of dynamics here and, and shifts. And I guess for those of you who are listening who are either chief information security officers or want to be, um, take that as a, a course of study and preparation, like be ready for that, you know, be ready for that role because it may come a little sooner than, than uh, later, you think? Well, you know, I've been doing this governance stuff since 2008. And so I would do these surveys um, that ended up the last couple were global, 2008, 2010, 2012, and 2015. And I tracked the answers. And so the, like when we started, only 6% of the companies had a risk committee. In 2015, I think it was something like close to 60%. So the needle moved in a lot of areas. The one area it wouldn't move was the CIO CSO reporting structure. So actually, I think the onus is more on people like me, people that are outside that we need to be talking more, talking louder, pushing, making this issue an awareness issue for governance and making it an issue. If the CISO just keeps saying I shouldn't be reporting to the CIO, that doesn't get us there. We need to have other people, senior management people speaking up and breaking that dynamic because it is harmful. I love that. I'm just saying CISOs need to be ready. Yeah. Oh, they be do. reporting in a subordinate role. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, so let's talk. I want to. We have so much to cover. Um, let's talk a little bit about what's driving this because we've been kind of eagerly anticipating some rule changes in the at the SEC level. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what you know the drivers are there about the um, best practices that we can rely on and so forth, the statutes and regulations all of that kind of thing. And also be sure to mention, <laughs> you mentioned something to me when we did the pre-show about uh, about the, the speed of class action lawsuits in the event, in the wake of a breach. So let's talk about all that. So uh, first I'll say there's four drivers. Um, the first is the best practices and standards. Having two standards from ISO on information security governance is powerful. Um, FFIEC, as we all know, and my 2015 study proved that the financial industry has the best cybersecurity programs. So having FFIEC pushing that out from that perspective too um, is is great. So the best practices and standards are there and they're up front and they're leading. And that's great because once people get it, there's something to tell them how. Number two is laws and regulations. So we do have this upcoming SEC law that will impact all public companies. 
they already have um, guidance out there for investment advisory firms, but they're going to have, you know, there's additional rules coming for them as well. Um, there's the FTC that has always been a leader in requiring enterprise security programs and governance and involvement at the executive level. So those, so you have that. And then you have 23, at least 23 states that have laws that require reasonable cybersecurity practices and procedures. That's kind of their term, reasonable mm -hmm. cybersecurity practices and procedures um, to protect personal data. And it has to be in place now, not just when you have a breach, but now. And then we have these comprehensive laws coming in with the same thing. So in California, if you can show a company did had a breach of your personal information due to a lack of reasonable cybersecurity practices and procedures, you have a private right class of act, you know, a private right of action to go sue them. So the uh, comprehensive state privacy laws and the 23 state laws that already have cybersecurity requirements for companies are powerful. Then we have things like the New York Department of Financial Services that is requiring companies to sign, you know, in the, in the financial sector, which includes insurance and a wide range of financial institutions to, to provide a certification yearly about they review the program. So that's the second big thing is, is laws and regulations. The third big thing is a change in Delaware case law. And the change in Delaware case law that is defining these where you have this role and responsibility expanding out for board members and um, and uh, executive you know directors and officers. It is uh, a powerful change that a lot of people haven't quite paid attention to and understood. But you know Delaware is our lamp post for the nation in corporate law. And so it's, this is a, a big, important, significant change. And it's one of the reasons we have the cyber event driven litigation, which is the fourth reason. After any major cyber event now, there's almost certainly going to be a uh, shareholder derivative suit against the board and officers, or there's going to be a class, class action securities suit. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a public company. We've had those class action security suits against um, privately held companies. So those are the four drivers, the best practices and standards, laws and regulations, the Delaware case law changes and the cyber event driven litigation. So oh, you, that's you want to talk about the second part of that, which I think was, um, where is that going or what well, are let the me, let me, let me, yeah, before we go there, let's go back uh, to a little bit. Um, I know we're gonna we're gonna run out of time before we get into all the details, but for the sake of conversation, um, you know, when I go talk about best practices, I always talk about demonstrating due diligence to a defensible standard of care, and 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 that that is another way of saying reasonable cybersecurity controls. But that's I often hear the pushback uh, that in, in, you know, out in the world that says, okay, you're talking best practices. What's the difference between best practice and reasonable? Do you see that gap? Like what's reasonable? It has to fit the business. It can't be controls that put the business out of business. That, mm -hmm. that would not make sense. But are we seeing that gap between this wiggle room we have about what's reasonable versus 
what ISO standards and the FFIEC are putting out there as best practices. Do you see that gap no, closing? I don't, I don't. So I think that poster child for that is the lab, uh, lab MD case that the FTC brought and lost. And it was because they said, this is too vague. You're saying they have to have this cybersecurity program. What does that mean? And so whenever anybody's going to say you had to have reasonable uh, security practices and procedures, imagine you're in a courtroom, you're going to have to turn to something to say what that means. And that's going to mean a best practice or standard. So they're going yeah. to look to what does NIST require, ISO require, what do any of the uh, uh, few other really recognized standards require, and they all map to each other. So the key elements and activities of a cybersecurity program are there and they've been defined by very reputable bodies and used by corporations all across the world. And so to me, that's not a hard, that's not a hard problem. It's looking to what's expected in that clause and that's gonna go back to the best practices and standards. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I'm just, I'm just aware that there's, there's, an, a, a there's lots of attempts made to kind of create a little bit of wiggle room in there. And I think what we're gonna see as you know, the security problem just keeps getting worse. I mean, we just, let's face it, that companies are struggling to try to, uh, re, you know, close the gap and it's it's not getting closed. So what that tells me is that best practices may be much more stringently held as the standard. That's what reasonable means. Best Reasonable and best practice are kind of in the same ballpark. Well, the Delaware case law has looked to, in these changes, they've looked to um, companies that have compliance issues and um, where there's a known duty to act. That's where these changes in Delaware case law are coming into play. And it used to, so it was with Caremark. Can I talk about this just a second? Yes, please do. Um, I think that's really important to make this understandable. Um, fiduciary duties, there's a duty of care. There's a duty of loyalty. With the duty of loyalty is attached this thing called good faith oversight. And the duty of care, let's just get that out of the way. That involves a business judgment rule and you don't have to make a perfect decision. You don't have to be fully informed. You have to do the best you can for the company. Set that aside. What we're talking about here is this duty of loyalty and this good faith oversight. And the Caremark case said you basically had to show that um, a board's duty, they completely failed to do anything. And that was 1996. But in 2019, we had this case that came about and it was um, uh, Marchand v. Barnhill and it was about a, a listeria outbreak in a creamery. And that's when the court said people died. And they said, this was where directors uh, were not paying attention to their compliance requirements and they weren't doing all they needed to be doing. They weren't, they didn't, they hadn't done anything. And so the court said in that case, I'm just gonna read this, bad faith is established under Caremark when directors completely fail to implement any reporting or information systems or controls, having implemented such a system then fail to see monitor or oversee its operations. So they were saying that you, the, if you have these regulatory or obligations that you have to pay attention, then a few more cases came beyond that. And, and they said, 
it's appropriate to distinguish the board's oversight of the company's management of business risk that is inherent in its business plan from board's oversight of companies' compliance with positive law, including regulatory mandates. And they emphasize the board's failure to monitor oversight systems. So that was a case called Clovis. There were a couple more that came along and one last one I'll really mention because it just kept narrowing this about basically if you have compliance and regulatory obligations or a known duty to act, then this is where this good faith oversight really kicks in. But they said in this Hughes v. Who case in 2020, the court noted the mere existence of an audit committee does not provide universal protection against derivative suits. And they noted board members can be held personally liable if their neglect causes harm to the company and shareholders. So when you start talking about personal liability with boards of directors, that wakes them up. So um, we got a question in the chat. I want to make sure that we cover that because it relates to us talking about the Delaware case law. Um, and so when you talk, this is for those of us who aren't legal experts, when you have Delaware established case law, that can be used in any state. That's not just sure. applicable to Delaware domiciled companies, right? So Delaware really is the guidepost for the rest of the country. And if you go look in any other state, they're all citing Delaware case law. So any, if you're arguing in any other case, even with companies that are not domiciled in Delaware, their lawyers are going to be looking at what Delaware is doing and um, the courts pay attention to Delaware. So it is very important. And, and also, you know, we have the American Bar Association and they have um, their um, models that they have set forward and they also tend to track Delaware. So um, let me take a stab at kind of summarizing what the action is for, <laughs> for our, our listening audience, for those who aren't attorneys. And I appreciate you so much for doing this. This is, by the way, people, this is really important for us to understand and to kind of wrap our heads around. And we don't have to be, you know, super conversant in the legal aspects and the legal language. That's what our attorneys are for. And uh, I would say if you don't have a very close relationship with your general counsel at the company where you're working, you want that, definitely. Um, and to have this conversation about what roles and responsibilities need to look like with the bar that's being set for us um, in terms of best practice and how we will be held accountable to a level of practice for information security. I think that's one thing. Make sure that you have that relationship so that you can have this conversation um, with your internal uh, counsel. The other thing I would say is, and I, I feel this very strongly after the events of last year that involved a couple of high profile CISOs, um, mm -hmm. and that is this responsibility and accountability for the management and the culture of cybersecurity that you mentioned has to be something that is shared. Not It's not just the responsibility of the CISO to make that happen. It has to be shared in every C-level role across the organization and every business unit leader. And uh, those, if, the, if you don't have that now, this is the time. <laughs> this is the time to start figuring that out. Would you say, did you have... Like, what do you think? And do you have anything to add to that, Jody? Well, uh, 
CISOs need to understand that there needs to be a cyber governance framework. And that means more than a presentation to the board every 90 days or something. Uh, there needs to be a cyber governance framework. And that is a framework that is set up that identifies the key risks that the board keeps its eyes on, the key information flows that help them monitor those risks throughout the, that year. And, and then again, back to everybody's role and responsibility, board's role and responsibility, C-suite, and then CISO, and, and uh, the other operational personnel. And to, um, you know, to, to bring in experts to help make this happen, because it's very hard sometimes internally at the operational level to make change. But a third party can often get change to happen uh, because we don't have to live with those people every day. And uh, they, uh, you know, you can say things that people across the organization, it can impact them, but they accept it better from someone else. It's not, you know, than your parent. Um, I would agree. I would agree with that. Bring in, bring in outside an outside counsel that can give some advice at the high level about what this means and, and what the impact of this would be. And even to do an assessment would be, would be a reasonable yeah. step. Well, and, you know, a board may want an assessment because they may want to look at the high level risks that have been different than just uh, examinations of controls in cybersecurity programs. But when we say counsel, I don't necessarily mean go hire a lawyer because a lot of the lawyers don't understand all of this from the big picture. Right. Hire someone that is a governance expert. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And last thing I want to ask, uh, the SEC ruling, whether that isn't in place yet, but we anticipate that, that's, could you get like timing wise? And also how can people look that up? Um, if you go to SEC proposed rule cybersecurity, it'll pop up. Um, it's okay. going to be a big change, I think, because it's going to start pushing change out from you know public companies on down and uh, other states are going to start doing things with that as well for a broad range of companies. But it requires at the board level some governance, who's responsible at the board level for cyber risks, it has to be named, how the board is informed of cyber risks and with what frequency, whether the cyber risks are part of the enterprise strategy and risk management. I mean, cyber risk is an enterprise risk, it's not over here by itself. And then with management, the SEC rule will require management's role in assessing and managing cyber risk uh, to be spelled out, including, you know, their expertise and the people that they've got dedicated and then how committees are formed and what monitoring is done. So it's going to push out information on the basics and raise awareness and get some of those key activities going. So I think it's a very important development. I expect it by March, April. And um, I, I think it's going to be a good thing. Yes, I well, I would agree with that. It's a good thing. We need it. Yeah. And the fact that, uh, you know, another another finding in the World Economic Forum cybersecurity report for 2023 indicated that boards pay attention to regulations. Yeah. So this is a this is a good thing coming down. That's going to be helpful. It's going to create a lot of work for us. If it isn't something that you're already familiar with out there, the people who are listening to this live stream or who are listening to, to the podcast, Make sure that you take some steps right away to kind of get acquainted with this of what it's coming. It's going to be, it's going to be a biggie, and uh, and it's a net positive, I think, for our industry. Uh, Jody, thank you for the time. That's all the time we have. I can't believe how fast it goes by. Thank, thank you for all of your 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 insights and your expertise on this, and for sharing that with us on the show. 
And, um, but how can people connect with you? Where can they uh, find you? Globalcyberrisk.com or just Jody Westby. If you Google me, I pop up and my contact information's there. Thank you so much, Perfect. Karen. And thank you Perfect. to your listeners and viewers today. You can watch the video live stream of this conversation on the VMware Carbon Block LinkedIn and YouTube channels. We look forward to seeing you next time.